First Things First, the last sermon series. C.S. Lewis once said this, and I quote, put first things, second thing, put first things first, and second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both first and second things. Today is my last sermon series. The sermon in the sermon series called First Things First. And we have been talking about how to put God first in our life. Now, there's been a lot of sermons on the subject of putting God first. Books have been written on how to put God first. Sermons, multiples of sermons throughout the years have been preached about putting God first. It's almost a Christian cliche to say, I am putting God first. Now, what does it really mean to put God first? Have you ever thought about it? What is the implication of putting God first? I'm not talking about a checklist. I'm not talking about adding something else to your life. I'm talking about your heart this morning. I'm talking about a transformation of perception. I'm talking about Jesus being enthroned on your heart. Is Christ the priority of your life? Is He the principal figure in your life? Is His word more valuable than any other word spoken to you? In other words, is your heart aligned with God's heart? Do you care about what God cares about? Is your heart Godward or is it manward? Are your decisions, your affirmations and affections Godward? When He is number one in your life, then I believe everything else will be affected by it. C.S. Lewis also said this, and I quote, If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, you're embarking on something which will take the whole of you. My friends, putting God first will take all of you. Putting God first will take all of you. Is Christ the principal figure of your life? Is He the principal figure in your life? Is He number one? Is He enthroned on your heart? I am not talking about a checklist. I'm not asking you to add something else to your life. I'm asking you to change your perspective. I'm asking you to enthrone Jesus as the Lord of your heart. And when he becomes the principal figure and priority of your life, then every decision you make is affected by it. In other words, your marriage, how you use your money, how you treat people at the restaurant, how you treat your co-employers, everything is affected when Jesus becomes number one. No longer do we compartmentalize our life. Sometimes as Christians, we put church here and God here. Or we put God here and our work here. We compartmentalize our life. But as a Christian, there is no such thing as the spiritual and the secular. Everything is spiritual if you are a Christian. 
And when God becomes number one in your life, everything is affected in your life. A couple Sundays ago, I proposed this to you, that one of the biggest things that we struggle with in our life is the idea of money. Now, I know most of you, some of you will turn me off right now, but I'm asking you, please don't do that. This is hard for me to preach on a subject like this. Very difficult. I don't want to preach on money, but yet I know as a preacher, Jesus talked about it. And Jesus warned us that money could be an idol in our life. Paul also said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. There is more in the Bible than just blessings. There's more in the Bible than heaven and hell. The Bible tells us principles and precepts of how to live. And you have a responsibility to submit to that and obey that or you will face the consequences of it. So Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Jesus said this and I quote, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or he will love the other. You will be devoted to one or you despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I want you to notice what Jesus said here. Jesus said that you cannot serve God and you cannot serve money. Jesus made two implications about that scripture. Number one, Jesus said that money can be a master. And number two, Jesus informed us in verse 24 that money can enslave you. It can be a master and it can enslave you. Let me say this, church. Jesus don't need your money. He doesn't need a piece of paper with green ink on it backed up by the U.S. government. Jesus don't need your money. But Jesus talked a lot about money because he knew that money demonstrates where our heart is. Jesus understood that money can be a master. And it is possible that believers could be enslaved by it. Money can be a master. I'm going to say that again. Money can be a master. And the reason that money can be a master is because of several things. Number one, money is fungible. Money is fungible. The reason that money can be powerful and the reason that money has power or carries power is because money is fungible. In other words, you can trade money for several things. You can use it to buy things for you to bring comfort. In other words, you can use money to control outcomes. And my friends, that's power. Money has power. Number two, money is countable. Not only is money fungible, but money is countable. You can, you can uh, count how much you have of it. You know how much you have. And you also know how much you don't have. And that's not true for other types of power. Usually power that's exercised in other functions has to be exercised at the present moment. But with money, it is countable because you can save it for later. It is storable. Money is storable. You can save it for later. And my friends, that's not true for other types of power. 
With money, you can hold on to it. You can use it. You can store it up. And Jesus said very clearly in Matthew 6 and 24, you can have two masters. Either you will hate the one or you will love the other. You will be devoted to one or you will be devoted to the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is clear that money can be a master and you can be enslaved to it. Jesus is saying that you can use money to control your outcome. Listen to this preacher. Jesus said you can use money to control your outcome. You can use money to bring comfort to you and to bring security to you. And it is very possible that you can be enslaved to the desire of what money brings you. Money can bring a sense of happiness. Money can bring a sense of comfort and security. You can control the outcomes of certain things about your life with money. And Jesus is saying it's possible that you become so addicted to the desire of what money can do that it can become your God. And I want to remind you today that there are situations in the scriptures, Jesus even Uh, uh, Jesus talked about money on uh, numerous times, but also the Old Testament gives us an account of how people did and what they did with their finances. And I want you to see something. You don't have to turn there. I got the scriptures behind me on the screen. But there is a familiar passage of, uh, of story, a narrative found in the book of Haggai chapter number one. I want to read it to you, Haggai chapter number one, and I want you to listen to this story in Haggai chapter number one. Listen to it, Haggai chapter number one, and I want you to see, I want you to go down into verse number three, Haggai one verse three, then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lay in ruin. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You are clothed, you clothe yourself, but you're not warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring down the wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. But you've looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord? Because my house is in ruin while every one of you runs to your own house. Therefore, the heavens above, I will withhold the dew and the earth will withhold its fruit. For I have called for a drought on the land and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Do you see what's happening here? God's people, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites, whatever you call them, God's special people. They were in bondage in Babylon. They were in exile. They were held in bondage. The enemy had destroyed their temple. And the temple was their most prized possession. The enemy destroyed it. 
When God's people came back from captivity, they went back to their homeland and they found that the temple was destroyed. The most prized possession that they had was destroyed. The prophet here, Haggai, said this, God is disappointed because all of you all are fixing up your houses while you are neglecting God's house. You're putting the chandeliers in your house. You're putting the drywall up in your house. You're fixing your front yard. You are doing your very best for your house, but you forgot what's important. You forgot to put first things first. You forgot about my house. And because you forgot about my house, I'm going to make sure that you never have enough. I'll make sure that you remain in drought. In other words, God is saying this, if you don't put first things first, I will be against you. I will be against you. They refused to put God first. They didn't put first things first. They neglected God's house. Very quickly this morning, God did two things because they neglected to put first things first. Because they put themselves first and they put God second, God did two things. Number one, God frustrated their efforts. God frustrated their efforts. Look at the scripture, Hebrews, excuse me, Haggai chapter one, verse six, it states this, and I quote, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put clothes on, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. See, God frustrated their efforts because they failed to put first things first. You see, they were putting hours in their garden But the garden wasn't producing any harvest. They were investing their money, but yet the returns wasn't coming towards them. You know what God was saying? God is saying this, I am frustrating your efforts. You are planting, but you're not getting anything back. You're putting money in your pocket, but your pocket has holes in it. Why? Because the Bible says in Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 9, you expected much, but you see, it turned out to be little. You expected much, but it turned out to be little. Why? Because what you brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord, because my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy at your own house, My friends, do you hear this pastor this morning? God is saying, I'm going to frustrate all your efforts because you're not putting me first. And when I am not first, I will frustrate your efforts. I did all of this to tell you that if I am not number one, Nobody else is going to be number one. I am a jealous God. I am not a co-God. I'm not a junior God. And I'm not a vice God. I am the only God. And if I am not God, nobody is going to take my place. I will frustrate your efforts. I will frustrate your efforts. When God is not first, your life will be miserable. Well, I go to church. It's not about going to church, my friends. It's about a worldview. 
It's about how you make decisions. It is about how you conduct your life. It is about how you put God first in every area of your life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, and I quote, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now notice that verse there. Jesus said all of these things will be added to you. In the context of that narrative, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about food and clothing and comfort and shelter. Jesus, in other words, saying that your food, your housing, your family will all be taken care of if I am number one. You seek God and I'll add. You seek God and I'll add. But if you add to your life without seeking me, I'll frustrate your efforts. You seek the kingdom of yourself, and all these things will be taken from you. You seek the kingdom of yourself, and all of these things will be taken from you. you got to make a decision. Am I going to seek God, and this will be added to me? Or am I going to seek the kingdom of myself? And when you seek the kingdom of yourself, God says, I will frustrate your efforts, and I will subtract from your life. You see, my friends, most of the mess that we find ourselves in in life is not because of the devil. There's only one devil, and he has a kingdom. The devil is not after you primarily. His kingdom, his demonic forces may be, but there's only one devil. Most of the mess that you find yourself in is because you've created it. It's because of our rebellion. It's because of our stubbornness. It's because we refuse to live our life according to the principles and precepts of the Word of God. And when you refuse to live your life according to what the book says, you will live a frustrated life. You hear a lot of people say this, well, pastor, I will give if I can afford it. Now, I want you to listen to that statement. I will give if I can afford it. You can't give because you're not giving. You don't have access because you don't give. A common thing people say, well, I'll give if I just have anything left over. God says you can't give. You're not giving because you're, you're not putting me first. When I become first, then God rearranges everything about your life. I can't give, pastor, because we don't have enough. And God is saying you don't have enough because you don't give. You don't have enough because you don't give. What if God is frustrating your efforts? What if God is trying to get your attention? What if not having enough is God's way of trying to get your attention? What if you being frustrated with your finances is God's way of trying to get your attention? You see, I am not teaching a quick scheme this morning. I'm not teaching a name it, claim it business. I'm not even teaching you that if you start tithing tomorrow, then all your financial difficulties will be over. That is not what Pastor Josh is saying. It took you 30 years to get in that mess. It might take you some time to get out of it. I am not teaching you that you bring your offerings and you give your tithe and next week you're going to get a big check and everything's going to be all right. I'm not teaching that. I'm teaching you to learn to put God first even in the difficult times of your life because that is where your faith will be tested. 
I'm not promising you a new house. I'm not promising you a new car. And I'm not promising you comfort and prosperity all the time. I am telling you that your faith is tested during the difficult times of your life. Are you willing to put God first even when you are and when you don't have it, and when you're in the valley, and when you feel tense, and when you feel stressed, do you have enough faith to be rooted and planted and say, I will put him first regardless of what happens around me. He comes first. Do you have enough faith to do that? Or are you going to be the type of person that says, well, I don't have it. I can't afford it. You can't afford it because you don't give. It takes faith to give the first, not the last. It takes faith to give the first, not the last. Say that with me. It takes faith. Say it again. It takes faith. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. If you pay your electric bill, you pay your light bill, and you pay the doggy bill, and you pay this, and you pay that, and then you come to the end of your bills and say, well, I only got X amount to, to, to get food, so I don't have enough. That doesn't take faith. It takes faith to say, God, I'm going to give to you first, then I'll pay my other bills, and if I don't have it, then I'm going to trust you that you're going to take care of me the rest of the month. That's faith. And we're going to say, boy, I want to grow, pastor. I want to grow. Then talk is cheap. Let's put our money to where our faith is. Thank you. Number two, God frustrates your efforts. But number two, they were unwilling to find contentment. The Bible says in Haggai chapter 1 verse 6, look what the scripture says. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put clothes on, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God not only frustrated their efforts, but God is saying you'll never find contentment. They were unable to find contentment. In other words, they were putting money in their pockets, but the money was falling out. There was holes in it. They were getting married, but yet they still felt alone. They bought their dream vacation house, but yet they still didn't feel connected to their families. They climbed up the corporate ladder, but yet they still didn't feel like they were significant. In other words, no matter what they did in life, they never felt significant. Boy, I've been in this thing a long time. People would jump from, the people jump here and jump there and move here. I'm getting out of Joplin. I'm going to move somewhere else. And guess what? It never works out. You know why it never works out? Because you got to live with you. Paul the Apostle wrote the book of Philippians, which was a book of joy in a prison. You can be joyful locked up in prison because you realize prison is not in me. You got to live with you. You can go to Hawaii and you can have a nice trim body and you can drink whatever on the beach and you can have the wonderful sun shining and smoking your body out, but you still got to live with you. And if you are not happy with you, it doesn't matter what Mr. does for you and what Mrs. does for you. You've got to find who you are on the inside of you. You've got to live with you. And they were unable to find contentment. Jim Carrey, the great philosopher of Hollywood, 
said this, and I quote, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can find it's not the answer. Thank you, Jim Carrey. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 2.13, My people have committed two sins. What have they done? They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug out own cisterns because broken cisterns cannot hold water. In other words, they've left God. They've forsaken God. And what did they do? They tried to make it work on their own. They dug out their own cisterns. They're trying to bring fulfillment to their own life. Listen, when we run after money and we run after the desire that money can do for us and it becomes a God for us, I promise you, it will disappoint you. Money will disappoint you eventually. If you make it, it's God. If you run after it like it's a God, listen, money is neutral. It's neither good or bad. It just reveals who you are. That's all it is. It's neutral. But if you run after it as a God, it will disappoint you. Tim Keller, the great Presbyterian pastor in New York, said this. Four things will happen when you make money your God and you become disappointed. Option number one, you will begin to blame the idol or the money and you'll choose another. You'll say this. Oh, I thought it was in the money. Oh, Pastor, it's not in the money. It's in family. Family is everything. Oh, it's not in family. It's in romance. It's in sex. But you find out that doesn't really fulfill you. So you go on to your executive job. And you find out the executive job doesn't really fulfill you anyway. So option number one, you keep blaming everything. It's not this. It must be that. It's not this. It must be that. Because power, money, and prestige will never bring fulfillment in your life. Option two, you'll blame yourself. You'll live with shame. You'll say, oh, what's wrong with me? I guess I'm not good enough. I worked so hard at that job. I can't believe they fired me. I don't know why they don't honor me. I I don't know if something must be wrong with me. You start to blame yourself. You could either be powerful or you can be pitiful, but you can't be both. Option number three, you blame the world. You become a cynic. You say this, oh, there's no happiness in the world. You can't depend on anybody. Everybody hurts you. Nobody's good. Everybody's out to get you. Everything and everybody will let you down. In my single days, I heard women say, there ain't no good men out there. All of them's bad. And I'm like, I'm You blame yourself. You blame the world. Number four, you realize that you were made for another world. C.S. Lewis said, if you find yourself yearning, you find your, your myself a yearning which nothing on this earth could satisfy, it must be that I was created for another world. Money, possessions, it won't satisfy you. A new car is not going to satisfy you. A new hairdo won't satisfy you. Thank God for new hairdos. And if you've got to get it tucked up and tucked in and sucked in, that's fine. 
If you've got to wear the skinny jeans, that's fine. I used to wear the skinny jeans, but I just realized since I got married, they won't go over my hips. But you know what? I'm still happy. <laughs> Can somebody say amen? God is still good. Maybe one day I'll be like Pastor Doug and look so fine like that, you know. He can wear the skinny jeans and be fine. Me and Miss Tiffany get in the car every Sunday and we're like, one day we're going to be like Pastor Doug and Connie. But until then, I'll just wear the bigger jeans and be happy. At least I can still shout up here. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So I'm saying, God is going to frustrate your efforts. You're not going to find contentment. So in closing, what should I do as a result of what I heard? Now this closing is going to be 12 minutes, so hang on with me. I got chapter number 1, verse 8. What should I do as a result of what I heard? You know what God said? Go up to the mountain, bring some timber down, build my house, that I will take pleasure in it, and I will be honored. What should I do, pastor? Just be obedient. Just build the house. That's what God said. God said it's not complex. There's nothing for a code to break, just obedience. Just start putting me first in your finances. Put me first. What do I do with my money is the greatest single indicator of the quality of my faith. What does your money say about your faith? What does your money reveal about you? What does your giving say about how in touched you are with God's forgiveness? What does your money say about you? Does your money say that you're generous? Listen to me. Generous and giving is two separate things. Just because you give on Sunday morning don't make you generous. And we've convinced ourselves that we're a generous people because we give once in a while in a special offering and we give our tithe. Generosity and giving is two separate things. The question for Israel and the question for you is this. Do you trust God to put him first? Do you trust Jesus enough to go all the way? Do you trust Jesus enough to go all the way and fully release yourself to trust him? Do you have that type of faith? I'm not convinced, listen, I'm convinced, listen to my heart, I'm convinced that most people don't want to be selfish, and most people are not stingy. I'm convinced. I see the good in people. Most people are not stingy, and most people don't want to live that way. Most people in this room, you want to have a generous heart, and you want to give more than you've ever gave. I understand that, and I'm with you. I have the same heart. But listen to me, it's not about a stinginess issue. It's not whether you're stingy or not, or whether you're selfish or not. I believe that your heart is not that way. I believe you have a giving heart. I believe inside of each of you, you have a big heart. That's not the issue. The issue is a faith issue. The issue is, do you have enough faith to let go and trust God with your finances? The greatest obstacle of letting go is fear. Pastor, how am I going to pay my bills? Pastor, what am I going to do? If I put God first, it's going to rearrange my finances. It's going to mess up my life. Is that what you're asking me to do? Yes. I'm asking you that you would let your Christianity rearrange your life. 
I'm asking you to let your Christianity transform your heart. I'm asking you to put God first. I'm asking you to put God in such a way that it makes a memory in your life. That you wake up Monday morning and you remember what you did because it rearranged your life. I'm convinced that some of us have lived at the same level of faith for so many years, you don't remember the last time you really gave a lot. Because we've never made a sacrifice. It doesn't create a memory. When was the last time that you created a memory and you really went out of your way to witness to someone? Are you creating memories that you can remember, that you won't forget, that you made a stone in your life, that right here, I was going to be above and beyond what I normally do. Pastor Josh is not after your money. If you think that pastor is manipulative, and if you think I'm after your money, and you think I have the wrong heart, I encourage you to give somewhere else. Give to another church. I have lived in this all my life, and I've lived this principle since I was a child. Have I always been right about it? Have I messed up? Have I not put God first? Yes. Many times I decided to pay my bills instead of put God first. But I have learned throughout my Christian life that's probably not the best way to do it. I'm not cursed because I didn't give God the first. I'm not going to go to hell. Listen, if you're struggling with giving, God's not going to send you to hell because you didn't give him the tenth. God's not going to curse you and everything's going to go wrong in your life. That's Old Testament. The the concept of giving is generosity. That the 10% is a floor and not the ceiling. If they gave the 10% under the law, How much more should we give under grace? It's walking in a spirit of generosity that the least I could do is to give 10%. If that's what they did under the law, I am more grateful and thankful for what God has done for me under grace. I should at least give that to him and more. I'm not teaching you. I'm not teaching you that you're going to be cursed and you're going to go to hell because I don't believe that. I believe that this is a spiritual principle and this is a discipline and this is a habit and there is blessings attached to it. But you also got to understand that sometimes the blessing don't always come immediate and sometimes the blessing doesn't always come the next day. Sometimes it comes in other forms. But I promise you, if you put God first, you will see things in your life of God's faithfulness. Hallelujah. The issue is a faith issue. If you put God first, he'll take care of you. Look at this scripture. I got six minutes. And the word of the Lord came to him. This is an Old Testament story. Go up to Zarephath in the region of Zion and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply food for you. So he went up to Zarephath and he came to the town gate and a widow was gathering sticks. And he called her and said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have something to drink? And as she was going to get it, he said, can you bring me a piece of bread? As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil. I'm gathering a few sticks. I'm going to take it home, make myself a meal, and me and my son's going to eat and die. Elisha said, don't be afraid. Go home and do as I said. But first, first, make me a small loaf of bread for me for, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Boy, if that's the American culture, we would say, nope, family first. We have so much of an American 
mindset that we felt that the American mindset is not a biblical mindset. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jar of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain. So she went as she did what the prophet said. And so there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family for the jar of oil was not used up and the jar and the, uh, was not used up and it did not run dry in keeping of the word of the Lord. What is this scripture about? Is this scripture about a preacher getting rich off of people? Because that's how people interpret it. No, it's just an Old Testament concept of faith. God was teaching faith. You do this first, not to make the prophet rich, but you do this first and you live in obedience and do this first and then God will take care of you. Did you see this? Can you give God your first? Can you give God your first? Or is it always about you and your family and what you need and your comfort? Can you do what's first? You see, you know what the woman said? The woman said, I don't have no bread, prophet. But then the Bible says she went in and had a little bit of flour. Hmm. You have no bread, but yet you have flour. In other words, the story is teaching us that all of us have something to give. All of you have something to give. You say, well, I don't have a lot of money, but you can give the first. Remember the widow, remember the widow woman that gave in the treasury in the temple? It was just a little mite. It's not the amount, it's faith. Somebody say, it's not the amount, it's faith. It's not the amount, it's faith. You know what stewardship is? Stewardship is this, managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. That is what stewardship is. Maybe you need to put yourself on a budget. Dave Ramsey is a wonderful thing that you can do. Get on DaveRamsey.com and it will teach you how to do a budget. Get with your spouse. That's what Tiffany and I was doing. We're on Dave Ramsey. It's a hard thing to do, but it pays off. We have paid off 10,000 of our debt since March of this year. I'm telling you, Sometimes you need to get practical. Get with your spouse. Get on DaveRamsey.com. Download the app. Let's talk about putting ourselves on a budget and putting yourself... Listen, it's boundaries, but it's healthy. Get yourself on a budget. And Dave Ramsey even talks about putting God first. And listen, maybe you can't be as generous as you like to be, but you can get out of debt and still put God first. And then when you get out of debt, you can give more than you've ever given because you are free to do it. Sometimes we got to just be practical. What is God's way? God's way is tithing and offering. What did Richard Foster say? Richard Foster said this in his book. Giving with a glad and generous heart has a way of rooting out that old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us. It destroys the demon called greed. My challenge to you today, church, listen to me is to live sufficiently, live within your means, live within your means. You might have to cut up the credit cards. You might have to say to no some, some purchases, but make every effort to put God first, put yourself on a budget, live sufficiently so that you can give extraordinary. Are you hearing me today? I'm talking about being rooted. You know what the Latin word for rooted is? Radical. Maybe some of us need to get radical. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you. What if you gave more to the kingdom of God than you gave to your mortgage? 
I know most of you are like, whoa. You see how American mindset we are? Is there any radical, generous givers? What if we gave to the kingdom more than you put on your car payment? You can't take your car with you. You can't take your house with you. God is not against houses and cars and possessions as long as they don't have you. God's not against it. I'm not against it. As long as it's in its rightful place. Giving and generous is two separate things. The American people only give 2% of their income. Look at it behind me. 2% of their income. We are not a generous people. America is not a generous people. What happens is God supplies for us, and guess what we do? We consume. We lack, because we consume it, we lack, and then we fear. We don't know how to pay our bills. But God says, when I supply, what I want you to do is give first. And then when you give first, somehow I'll multiply, and then your faith will begin to grow. But our faith never grows because we always live in fear. What does Jesus say in Luke 16, verse 9? Jesus said, I'm telling you, although wealth is often used in dishonest ways, you can use it to make friends because when life is over, you will be welcome into eternal home. You know what Jesus said? You can't take money with you, but you can send it along before you. Send your money before you. Give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, shall men give to your bosom. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of your increase. The first fruits, look at it. Proverbs 3, 9, the first fruits of your possessions, of your increase. Give him what's first. And we'll look what David said in 1 Chronicles 29, 3. David said this, besides in my devotion in the temple of my God, I'm going to give of my personal treasures of gold and silver. I'm given above now in my personal, over and above everything I have been provided for, because I'm generous. Would you stand? You see, my friends, today is Mission Sunday. And when you give on the first Sunday of every month, you're given to missions. A part of being generous is given to missions. And I want to remind you, on the first Sunday of every month, we give to missions. Would you make missions a part of your giving plan? Because you're sending the money ahead of you when you give to missions. On October the 9th, I'm challenging this church to the tithe principle and the tithe challenge. I'm asking everyone in here to tithe. Now that may not be a sacrifice because some of you do it. But I'm asking all of us. If you make $30, give $3. If you make $100, give 10 If you make 800 give 80 That may not be a sacrifice, but I'm asking you all of us, let's tithe. On October the 9th. Let's see what God will do in your life. Let's see what God will do in your life. Amen. Did you enjoy the preaching of the word today? Would you shout a great big amen? Father, I thank you for your word today. Thank you for your grace today. Thank you for your love today. I pray that your word would go forth in power and in boldness. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, the word went straight to my heart. Would you raise your hand quickly? If you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to try to do better in my finances. I know I'm not going to be cursed. I know I'm not going to go to hell, but I just want to do better. Would you raise your hand and say, I want to do better. Amen. Father, the word that's went forth today, let it go to the soil of our hearts. Let us hear it. Let's be obedient, Lord. Give us obedient hearts. Challenge us today to live 
sufficiently, but give generously. Let us do it your way. Thank you for this sermon series. Every word that's went forth in this sermon series, I pray that it will abide in our hearts. That we give heed to it. That you would mold us and make us and shape us and grow us into the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Could we raise our hands and say, Pastor, I'm going to try my best to put God first. I may not be perfect. You say, well, what if I mess up? Listen, what if I mess up? Then it's okay. It's all right. Try again. Everybody shouts, try again. So, well, Pastor, I missed tithing last week. Am I going to? No, just try again. This is not a checklist. This is a heart thing. All right? It's not about writing a check for $23.83. It's about generosity. God's not going to pound you over the head because you didn't give 10%. He loves you anyway. But it takes money to run things. Amen? And you're not given to the church. You're given through the church. When you give through the church, you're giving to God's kingdom. And the church of Jesus Christ is God's vehicle on the earth to get his message out, the local church. That's why we give to the church. It's God's instrument of goodness and the proclamation of the gospel in the world today. Amen? Look at all these missionaries you're supporting. We're reaching the world for Jesus. Can I hear an amen? You're reaching the world for Jesus. Amen.